Let's go. What's better than listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast? Listening and watching the Wolf of All Streets podcast live. Well, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but this time that's not the case because I'm hosting a stage at a conference from October 10th to 13th. That's the WebEx conference. I'm going to be bringing you live podcasts, live panels, master classes from the leading minds in the industry. This is going to be absolutely epic. It's going to be live streamed, recorded, and presented to you live. You can come have a happy hour with me, eat dinner, potentially play golf, and watch all of your favorite content being recorded in real time. Guys, the link for this is web3expo.live. That's web3expo.live. Use code WOLF20 to get 20% off your ticket. WOLF20 for 20% off your ticket. Guys, let's hang out in Vegas, October 10th through 13th. The first time I heard about ZK Snarks and ZK Rollups, I thought that we were talking about cartoons that I would watch on Saturday morning. But in fact, that's the future of cryptocurrency and the way that we're going to be able to have fast and cheap transactions without sacrificing our privacy. Evan Shapiro at Mina is leading the charge to make this happen. That's dope. I think one of the predominant narratives in crypto at the moment is scalability, especially in context of the Ethereum merge going hopefully successfully, seemingly successfully thus far. And so it seems that now the move to faster, lighter blockchains, of which yours is the fastest and lightest, layer twos, that's going to become the prevailing narrative. Do you agree? I think it's like half of the prevailing narrative. Uh, I think the other half is going to be things around privacy and like starting to really build in the real world, but at least half is going to be scaling, yeah. Talk about privacy and the importance of it and perhaps where we're lacking in privacy at the moment. Um, so we have all these blockchains. They're running fairly well. Um, but they have this property that if you want to interact with them, you have to put, if you want to use a smart contract, you have to send your data to that smart contract. And in doing so, disclose that data to a public network. Maybe that's fine if you're like just like sending a transaction or something, but say you were uh, connected with like a social profile that is off-chain, your financial data off-chain, um, your, your, uh, your voting record for uh, how you're voting on a protocol. So it starts becoming a little concerning uh, having all these things tied together. So do we have a bigger problem than the big tech companies that we rail against all the time? Blockchains are public. I, that, that's kind of the question, right? It's like uh, there, there's kind of like this, uh, I think, vision embedded into crypto that uh, we can build something better than all of these existing platforms. But if we don't have privacy as a primitive, would we end up building something better? Or can we build something better? Or will we build something worse? Or can we build anything at all? That's, that's a question, I think. But I think that people believe that Certainly legislators and regulators believe that crypto is being used for nefarious purposes because it's private. Not the case, right? I think, for one, a lot of regulators really understand that privacy is important, that uh, building systems that just disclose everyone's information is, is just as bad as something that is, you know, uh, 100%, 1,000% private. Uh, the great thing about crypto is we can kind of like customize uh, where we want things to be private and where we want things to be disclosed such that we can uh, achieve like a balance that is is, is good for everyone. And so how do we do that? 
Um, I mean, that's zero knowledge proofs. So we can, uh, with zero knowledge proofs, you can like, you know, do things which disclose parts of information while hiding other parts of information. And you can really get fine grained control over that. You can actually decide exactly what you want to disclose and what you want to keep private. Uh, so for example, you could have a DeFi app where you disclose that you are KYC'd, just like the one bit of information that you have been KYC'd, but nothing else. Um, so you can be in this world where you're, you're, uh, you know, you're not revealing all the other information behind your KYC publicly on chain. You're not putting your address, your social security number, everything on chain, bad idea, but you are revealing that you have been KYC'd. So you can do things like that, that are kind of in this, uh, middle ground, I guess, between, between the two places. I think that the first time I ever heard of ZK was when I did my first deep dive into Mina, but now it seems to be pretty yeah. prevalent. Uh, you see a lot of chains and projects talking about optimistic rollup, ZK rollup, yeah. ZK snarks, et cetera. At, at least from a scaling perspective, uh, they, they're kind of going mainstream, which is uh, so, sort of as, as predicted, uh, but they still have a long way to go, I think. Uh, you know, we're hearing about them a lot for scaling, but uh, we just talked about a bunch of privacy use cases. Uh, I, I think those are going to be as much or if not more impactful. Yeah, I agree. So we're at a point... I guess you could debate how many people actually use crypto on a day-to-day -day basis. We have these numbers, 100, 200, 300 million. I think that's probably more people who have just bought a dog coin and we, we're giving them credit for uh, yeah. being a part of the ecosystem. So even if it's 10, 20, 50 million people that are regularly using it, we've seen problems at scale. Solana yeah. being down five or six times. Obviously, we have plenty of, plenty of examples. What happens when we have a billion people? Yeah, I, I guess maybe this is like... A <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a futurist outlook, but I think uh, with ZK rollups and with like ZK protocols like Mina, we've kind of solved it in, in a lot of ways. Like uh, we have someone right now building a ZK rollup on top of Mina that like it's like one person and they're like making really quick progress. And there's going to be a ton of these and they're all going to be able to, through parallel proving of transactions, compute huge numbers of transactions, like, like ridiculous numbers. I, I mean, once we have that, it's like, it's not concerning to me anymore. Like uh, how do we scale? It's more like, you know, I don't think we're going to like if everyone if like, you know, another hundred million people buy another dog coin, that's not going to like be enough to justify that scaling. We're going to need real applications. And that's like the question that becomes more interesting to, to me is I, I think we kind of have the scale figured out with ZK already. Uh, once we have that, like, what are we going to use that scale for? Uh, is it just going to be sitting there or are we going to do something with it? <laughs> solution in search of a problem rather than a problem in search of a solution. But yeah, yeah. I think that everything we've seen in crypto and with technology in yeah. general is there always ends up being that one tipping point that you don't expect. And then it's this massive rush all at once. And if we're not prepared yeah. for it, that would be horrible. Yeah, I, I think people have had faith that like there will be a reason to use of that scale. So there's been like a good argument for, for building it. Uh, but it's turned out like, uh, you know, I, I think we're getting closer to that tipping point, but that's not the, uh, yeah, that's not the hard part. The hard part is going to be actually making things that need that scale. Okay, so yeah. what are some ideas for things that would actually need that scale that might legitimately happen? Yeah, I mean, like, there's a few easy ones to mention. Like, I think, like, uh, I'll start with, like, kind of the easy ones. Like, DeFi is, like, one. I think there's some statistic, like, 1% of Ethereum addresses have interacted with, D with uh, DeFi in some way. And it's, it's like, a, such a small number of, like, effectively, like, you know, uh, crypto whales that, like, are of enough ETH to, like, over-collateralize and then use DeFi in some big way. Um, it's such a small amount of like the possible activity, even on ETH today. And ETH is also, you know, it's not like ETH has like a billion people on it. It's like small number, small number. 
Um, so, you know, how can we build financial products that actually are interesting to like way more people is like, just like a crypto is such a fundamental question for crypto because it's already going down that direction, but it's such a small number, it's still hit. Is, uh, do you think it's a matter of disinterest or do you think that it's a lack of education, just not, not enough people know about it? Or do you think that it's still a UX UI problem where the few people who would come in and are not whales go, I can't figure this thing out. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a bunch of things. Like, I, I think like, uh, if, if I was like, you know, I be trying to build a company for, uh, you know, users to use crypto finance as their primary thing to do first. I think a lot of companies are trying that, but, uh, you know, it's like little things here and there. It's like, oh, like, uh, you know, we got some over collateralized lending product. We have, um, you know, some kind of custody solution or some kind of debit card that like turns your crypto into cash. Um, there's all these kind of like piecemeal solutions that I don't think are like real fits for users. Um, I, I think there's a there's this question of what will really get users using crypto finance first. And I think to look at that is like a harder problem, but one in which hmm, I don't know if I'm going to live figure out on this podcast the solution to it. <laughs> But, 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 um, I, I think it's a prime, it's a partially UX UI issue. I think it's also partially a, like, um, it's a newness of the space issue. I think yeah. that like, as we have more primitives, it'll become easier to build bigger and better technologies that leverage them to build more complete solutions for users. But six months ago, I would have argued that it was simply the mainstream understanding that they could earn yield in a safe environment, but that's utterly exploded. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought that that was sort of the, the road to yeah. mainstream adoption. Anecdotally, even my friends who were, you know, 40 like oh, yeah. year old Wall Street guys who I could never convince to buy Bitcoin, they would buy USDC and park it somewhere that they viewed as safe for yeah. 10% yield. So I thought that was what was going to start bringing people. But I think that now that that's exploded, people are terrified of the yield I, side. I think that's still the story I believe in. Eventually. It should be. You know, it's like we're kind of like following this like crazy like sine wave of, of yields and returns on crypto and like maybe it'll eventually, you know, balance out somewhere reasonable. And whoever it balances out, it feels like it should balance out to add or slightly greater than like the uh, interest rate you would get from like your high yield savings account. Right. At which point maybe there's some neobank that's crypto first and then that's... Right. Or, or maybe you could argue that uh, the ETH staking interest rate becomes sort of the benchmark rate for crypto. But sure. then again, ETH remains volatile. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think so earning 7% if it goes down 50% is yeah. uh, not that appealing to yeah. the mainstream. Yeah. I, I think it's also a question like what, I, I think a lot of these cases I'm super excited about are like um, less on the financial side and more on like the platform side. And then there's a question of like, I think crypto has like been finance first for so long. Like, does it like kind of finish out these finance use cases before it goes to other platforms or do other platforms come first? Yeah, I, I mean, I think obviously we've seen the proliferation in bubbles of NFTs and metaverse. So it did get beyond sort of that's the true. DeFi summer and financial aspects. But again, that's all sort of yeah. waned. I, I think a lot of the use cases I'm excited about to go mainstream are like these uh, uh, kind of like platform use cases that are how can we build new things that are not like competitors, but also just brand new that, you know, People can kind of think of as plugging into like this, this, uh, for, for lack of like a better phrase, like web two slash like Gen Z, like content creator, like, like world uh, decentralized social media. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I think like at a super high level, like that kind of thing. But then like what specifically within that is like the, uh, can be a driver of, of activity. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I mean, you effectively created the ZK 
roll up, right? In ZK Snarks. And like I said, now it's sort of everywhere. What do you think about now seeing sort of your creation and what you've done being, I won't say copied, but utilized <laughs> elsewhere? Maybe I should say copied. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say uh, based, based on the timing. I think we were like uh, earlier first <laughs> to, 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 the, to the idea. I, I think like... Um, for one, it's awesome to see like uh, the narrative kind of like uh, being borne out that like this stuff can allow for scale and verification in ways that are working and useful. I think still we feel like only a fraction of the potential though. Um, and it's like greater potential I'm like mostly excited for. Yeah. So at this point, it's we're small enough that you can sort of cheer for even the competitors who are using the technology to be successful because it proves the technology and brings it more to scale. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it also like, um, you know, there's so many different pieces of the technology we need to bring together to make some of this stuff work. Uh, scale is one thing, but we also have like, uh, you know, things on the privacy and verification side that are very useful for actually building applications. Um, so it's... Can, yeah. can you give some examples? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think like... You know, there, there, there's a bunch here. I think for one, uh, you can imagine uh, that we're going to want to uh, be able to take off-chain data, things like your uh, credit score, things like your bank account information, uh, things like your social media connections. And uh, well, clearly we're not going to want to just share those blindly on-chain. That seems really bad. Mm. But we're going to want to be able to start interf interfacing those with on-chain things. Um, if we're going to have hope of like building platforms on crypto, which uh, go back to the real world and use a lot of information, whether that's a financial platform that's using like your, your bank account history, like on Plaid, whether that's a like social media platform that is using your, uh, you know, Twitter followers or something. Uh, there's like this connection that has to take place between the real world and the crypto world. And that's like something I'm very excited about because I think that is like a both place where privacy is needed and also a place where you can start building more real world adoption things. So privacy has been somewhat in the news, but from a more negative standpoint, obviously, with the Tornado Cash yeah. saga, ZK is not the same as Tornado Cash, but we don't exactly have the most highly educated regulators and legislators, I would argue. And it seems that actually they're targeting privacy, which is something that you're building. So do you have concern that they won't understand what you're doing and maybe could target this yeah. as one of the technologies? Uh, my hope is that what they're doing is they're looking for places where bad actors are congregating. And oftentimes it is like the strong privacy, like enabling places which are allowing that activity to take place. I, I, from people I've talked to, I think they understand the value of privacy. They also just are worried that like, you know, that will create places for people to congregate that they don't want to happen. So uh, I guess I'm less worried about the kind of privacy that like we've been talking about, and I'm thinking that uh, will be useful for in things like Mina, things like giving users like you know sovereignty and privacy over their data. Um, you know, it's up to applications in the end what what they want to allow here. Like an application could say uh, we're going to uh, allow any and all transactions completely privately, or they could say I need users to be KYC'd before they are able to use this application. They need to have had some history on, on crypto that kind of like shows they're like probably not a bad actor. There's all these things that can be done that uh, don't, uh, don't require users to show anything about themselves except for they're probably not a bad actor. And uh, I, th I think that there's like, it's kind of like the, this, this middle ground that gets created where we have privacy, but in a way that 
uh, is not causing the kind of bad activity regulators are concerned about. You have what's been described as the fastest and lightest blockchain. Does that mean that MENA could be the only blockchain we ever need and could operate at scale and one chain to rule them all? Or do we need to live in this multi-chain world? I, th- I think uh, I think that's like a, a key question. And like, if you, if you look at uh, what we built with MENA, it's, it's kind of funny. You see like, I think this convergence of, of protocol roadmaps. Like if you look at like the E3.0 roadmap, one of the things is like snarkify everything. That's you. You, you start seeing <laughs> that. Yeah. There's this question of once we launch the uh, programmability layer for Mina, which is uh, happening pr- pretty shortly, uh, does that then be a place where uh, Mina has kind of achieved this like converged layer one state? I I think that like at this point the I think that like with Mina we have the, the technology a little farther out than other chains, and we'll see. Um, I think it's like a huge advantage for people building on it and using it. Um, but I, I see these cryptocurrencies really as communities. So it's like, uh, will there be one community to rule them all? Like probably not, but I can see Mina being like a very large community in that space. If you put 20 crypto people in a room, you'd have 15 communities probably. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or like 50 communities. They're all like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have my doubts that they will all uh, come t- come together certainly into one community. So what you talk about programmability coming soon to Mina, what does that look like? So we've talked about a bunch of privacy stuff. This is the ability for developers to actually like use that um, in a meaningful way in terms of building applications. Uh, Mina as it is right now is like, uh, you know, payments, staking, that kind of stuff. And we've had this programmability layer with ZK apps on testnet for a while, but uh, it's soon going to go to mainnet, which is very exciting because it means that as a developer, uh, you can build smart contracts, deploy them on mainnet, and those smart contracts, unlike on other layer ones, uh, can use your knowledge proofs in a super native way to get access to like the scaling and privacy. So you don't need to bring something else in to be able to do the rollups like a layer two that you would need on another layer one. It's all built in. Yes. Um, the uh, yeah. So basically, there'll be um, from the scalability perspective, every application that gets made on Mina can also just like be a zk rollup. So like this like you know idea of like uh, application specific zk rollup zk rollups is just kind of built in. Uh, plus uh, you get access to all like the privacy and verifiability, off chain data, all that other stuff that you might find very useful if you're a developer. Uh, we touched on this a little bit before, but then do you view a if Mina is becoming you said sort of a hybrid layer one? I don't remember the exact term, but mm. what would you describe Mina as now if not a layer one? I, I think that sometimes we think of it almost as a layer two, actually, yeah. where you might want to uh, keep your application on your, your DAO or DeFi app or whatever on uh, Ethereum or something. And you're going to want to pull privacy information in from Mina. Uh, so Mina becoming almost this like layer two for privacy, where let's say I have like a DAO on Ethereum and I want to do a vote, but privately. I can kick that vote out to Mina. Mina does that vote in like this verifiable, uh, private, trustless way. Mina kicks the result back to Ethereum, and you can use their private voting result from Ethereum. But you've done like this, you know, crazy big private computation on Mina. I, I think it's really cool because, like, uh, ultimately, like this is like, you know, these these features can be useful to anyone across the space. So it it really like will I think bring this functionality to them. So I'm hoping it's useful to people. That someone answers my next question, which was mm. the part B, which was, do you see yourself as competitive or complimentary? But it seems very clear that 
even if you took a bulk of the market share, there's still a role for Mina with the other blockchains. Oh yeah, for, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, I, I think all the zero knowledge proof stuff is very useful to people. So if we can just like bring that people across crypto, that would be exciting. And because Mina is so cheap to verify, like it's very uh, tr- trustlessly bridged to these other chains. So you just said the uh, ultimate new four-letter word in crypto, even though it's not four letters, which is bridge. <laughs> um, obviously, that yeah. seems to have been a major point of failure uh, for hacks and yeah. exploits of late. So how do we secure these bridges yeah. when you are going back and forth from Mina or any protocol to any protocol yeah. in the future? So, so uh, I, I think there's like two aspects here. One is like sometimes these bridges just like aren't fully audited or they just like have bugs. And that's like, you know, that's that's avoidable. We have to spend more time auditing our code and pushing it out. But the other half of it is um, a lot of these bridges just fundamentally uh, involve some trusted intermediary, which is saying, oh, the state of Ethereum is this. And like, here's the tokens that I've like, you know, bridged over. You can trust me. Uh, what's cool is, is thinking of ways to get around that so there isn't this trusted custodian for this bridge. And when you have a chain that is uh, succinct like Mina, you can do that very che- very easily and, and expensively because you can just put that very small, tiny little proof of Mina inside of a smart contract on another chain, which then is fully verifying Mina. So uh, if you do something privately on Mina, you can then pull that data back into Ethereum in another application. So I, I think that like if we can make zero-knowledge proofs of layer ones, they can all be verifying each other. And then you've kind of gotten around at least the custodial side of, of the bridging question. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We talk often about the trilemma, obviously. You're the fastest, arguably the cheapest, the lightest. What do you sacrifice or have you solved that? Um, I, th- I think for one, like when we think about scalability on Mina, it's not like, oh, you know, we do like, you know, 5,000 TPS or whatever. It's more like we just have like a infinitely extensible set of recursive ZK rollups <laughs> that like, that, you know, uh, the actual like kind of throughput of proof verification on the main chain is, is fairly low, but each of those proofs can be a huge number of transactions. They can even be like hierarchical nested uh, ZK rollups of applications. So it's a kind of a different mental model for like what, um, what it means to be high scale. So I wouldn't necessarily call it like a sacrifice is just like a more like uh, flexible model over what scaling means. Is there anything else? I I, I guess like uh, it's it's more kind of like the deployment of like a new technology. It's like you know we didn't have this before. It's like what's the trade of like an airplane versus like a hot air balloon? It's like well, we have airplanes. Yeah. Um, that's how I think about uh, zk. It's just, it's just there's some differences, but uh, it's, it's just new. So people are trying to solve the trilemma, and you're like existing outside of it almost, just creating something completely different that makes it somewhat irrelevant. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it's not like you're trying to process thousands of financial tra- yeah. transactions like the Visa network yeah. all at once. I, yeah. I, I think there maybe will be a new trilemma for data availability. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this now. Um, uh, there's still like a limit to how much bandwidth you can shove through a network while still being decentralized. And so maybe you can get the throughput really high, but you still can't be like kind of moving infinite data around um, inside of like the super clustered decentralized network. Uh, it's like orders of magnitude, I think, greater than what we're seeing now, but it's still uh, still something. So is yeah. true decentralization even possible? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, I, I think um, 
Well, it, depend, it depends how you define true decentralization, but I would argue that uh, getting to a place where everyone's devices are accessing the chain in like this peer-to-peer trustless way, uh, we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of like nodes running consensus. We have some kind of like uh, democratic protocols running on top of these chains so that uh, we're not converging to like, you know, two or three people that can like, you know, uh, halt the network uh, due to like centralization of stake. And they can actually make real decisions. Like all these things come together to me. It's like, you know, we can all kind of exist together in like this decentralized space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk yeah. about centralization of stake. That's been arguably the largest criticism of Ethereum immediately after the move that 60 to 70% of the staking is five or six entities. Yeah. I, I think what's funny there is it's still like a step better from proof of work, which is like, it's like everyone is like saying, oh, no, it was like, it was like, oh, it was like, it was like three before. So we've gotten like a little better. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really understand but, that argument because mining yeah. pools are, yeah. are centralized. I think that like moving from three to five is like it's better, but it still points out like, do we really want decentralization of crypto to be like the number to be five? Like, I think it's too small. <laughs> yeah, but it, like it, staking still, I think, inherently can be dominated by wealth. Right. Yeah. I mean, the wealthiest people still yeah. have. And that's true of DAOs. That's yeah. true of everything that we call decentralized, which is why I asked the question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You, a DAO so, is great and everybody gets to vote. But if one person owns 80 percent. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's no good. I think that like that's not not the point. Um, I've been thinking about this recently. And like, I think as far like as it comes so far as to think that, like, if we base these protocols and their uh, consensus power on wealth, it's going to be inherently centralizing. Uh, that's just like how it's going to work. The opportunity is, uh, can we base consensus on things besides wealth? Uh, we tried uh, we, we tried compute. That was kind of basically wealth. Now we're doing wealth directly. It's, it's kind of the same. Uh, but can we base it on other things? For example, uh, can control of a DAO be based on contributions over time? Or can we integrate identity into these protocols such that we have some kind of balance between how much money someone has and how much control they get over the network. Uh, You can imagine like a a simple version of something I'm playing with and thinking about is like, uh, what if you just take the square root of how much tokens you have and uh, that's your- Effectively a maximum level that you can have that is not, you can't buy the entire, all the power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that like this is uh, I, I think of this a lot because I think it's like kind of a place where crypto needs to be thinking about next. Um, it depends what our goals are for the system, obviously. Like if our goal is to like attract maximum capital, maybe we, we kind of want to do it this way. But if we want to build something that's like democratic and collectively like kind of more in- integrated, then I think uh, there's some kind of adjustment that needs to take place to, to this weighting of stake. And then, of course, there's the fact that most of it's running on Amazon Web Services, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the other, I yeah. think, uh, less talked about argument of what decentralization versus decentralization mean. Yeah. I mean, it seems eventually we'd have to build our own infrastructure as well that's decentralized. Yeah. I, I think one thing that is nice there is um, I, I, there is like, I don't know. So uh, there there's like enough data centers out there out there and people with computers out there where if one of these gets shut down, um, people migrate pretty quickly to other ones. So as long as there's not like some kind of nation state attack on it, I think it's like yeah. kind of okay. Um, yeah. Not ideal, but. I- ideal yeah. is hard to, uh, it's hard yeah. to achieve yeah. in the very short term. Do you see a point where the biggest companies in the world 
use your technology for privacy. Seems like this would be a layup for the visas and the MasterCard. Yeah. Basically anyone in the financial realm. Yeah. A easier and faster and cheaper way for them to verify information. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good argument for that. Like, if any of these companies want to both get access to zero-knowledge proofs so they can do things with privacy and also uh, work with other companies in ways where, like, they aren't the, you know, sole holders of, like, kind of the, uh, the, the keys to the platform. They want to have a shared platform with other entities. Uh, then building with zero knowledge proofs on a cryptocurrency becomes like a very logical choice. I think that's kind of the next step is like, okay, like uh, Mina is, is will have this programmability around privacy uh, around at scale. It'll have a bunch of Web3 applications, private voting, uh, DeFi things, uh, some integration with off-chain data. Uh, when does that become interesting to like these bigger companies that uh, will want to get access to this new set of technology and things they can integrate with? Um, yeah, excited yeah, be, for it. Be amazing. Yes. And now that Mina is becoming programmable, we obviously are talking about sort of the financial and privacy applications, but do you also get NFTs and GameFi and everything else that we're seeing built on layer ones in the crypto space? Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping with like a twist, like, you know, uh, you know, with things around privacy, with things around, um, uh, you know, ZKPs integrated into them. Uh, I think that's like, that's like the fun thing, I think, if you're a developer, like, it's like, oh, you know, I could build an NFT or whatever, but what can I do uh, if I can build an NFT where I can privately verify like off-chain website information and use that to mint an NFT? Like there's, there's all these like fun things you can start thinking about. Um, so I'm hoping like, yes, but like with, with twists for like zero knowledge proof things. Also so sounds like thinking about it that you could focus more on NFT utility and not the NFT art side. And for real world transactions, the things that we talked yeah, about yeah, yeah. for NFTs years ago, mortgages and title of your car yeah. and, and any basically legal document that you could then transfer from one person to another, knowing it's verifiable and then can't be transferred without confirmation. Exactly. Yeah. So like there's all these like ways we can start thinking of using the technology that uh, is, is more than just a photo of something some artwork it's it's like we can do way more like kind of application-y stuff so yes well, i look forward to seeing what gets built uh after the next mainnet yeah <laughs> and uh hopefully seeing this all adopted in the future it's i think it's hard for a lot of people here in the depths of the bear market to still be as exciting as they were but i don't think there's any slowdown to no. the building people are still building i think it's still exciting like the real the real like uh you know unlocks are still taking place so i think there's there's a lot of reason to still be to be excited Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That's dope.